Hey everyone, it's Raghu, and I'm back with Mind Rolling. This is part two of my session in Maui at the uh, Open Your Heart in Paradise retreat that happened just last month. And uh, first time we gathered in that kind of a sized group uh, in a very, well, since Ramdas left. And so we had some of basically his closest people that uh, he's taught with over the years in, in Maui, Jack Cornfield and Trudy Goodman. And uh, uh, <clears throat> of course, Krishnadas was there and I was there, Mirabai Star, Mirabai Bush. And uh, by the way, that will all be available sooner than later as a download, either video or audio. It uh, was quite a retreat. But so... I did a mind-rolling session at Open Your Heart in Paradise, and I had with me uh, Dale Borglum, Ramdev, who's uh, got a podcast on the network that's phenomenal. And uh, so we had the pleasure of hanging with both Roshi, Joan Halifax, and Sharon Salzberg, and of course, both of them very close to Ramdas for many, many, many years. So this is part two of that couple of hour conversations around the gifts that Ramdas left for us. Uh, so very dear to me. And by the way, speaking of last year, of course, was the 50th anniversary of Be Here Now. And our wonderful curator at the library, the Ramdas Library, found the actual talks and stitched them together that make up the Our Story, which is the first chapter, in first section, rather, in Be Here Now, which was just, of course, his story of transformation. It's available. It's amazing to actually hear him extemporaneously just speak this whole story that was transcribed for the book. It's uh, actually marvelous. It really is. And that's available at ramdas.org in the shop. Just go to the shop. I think it's called Journey the Transformation. And uh, yeah, that was the final offering. There is a, a beautiful page, Be Here Now page, on honoring the book and, of course, everything it represents related to Ramdas. And that's on, uh, on ramdas.org. Of course... This is Be Here Now Network, Ramdas's uh, podcast network that uh, we started. What's well, going five years or something? It'll be this year. I'm not sure. Anyhow, this is part two. Me and Ramdev Dale Borglum hanging out with Sharon Salzberg. We'll see you next week. Sharon, thanks for being here. So great oh. to see you. This is what you're in New York, right? I'm in New York. You'll hear the sounds of traffic and, and occasional sirens. sirens. Good. Well, many of us will be being on the beach is like too. You know, yeah. Oh no. It's boring. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, we want that realness, well. Sharon. <laughs> I don't think anybody here doesn't know Sharon, but uh, she has uh, several books under the real. I'm going to tell that story. Uh, currently, real change, right? And um, one day we were sitting up here. This is my replacement for Duncan, by the way. Right. Did you know that? Yeah. You're not as funny as him, though. I've got other qualities. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. 
<laughs> and I am pretty funny, but oh, yes. not up here necessarily. It's uh, another kind of humor that doesn't go too well in public. Oh, okay. So Sharon was here with Duncan and myself a few years ago, and he was really curious, so he said, Sharon, what do you do? What's your practice when you get up in the morning? After you get up in the morning, and Sharon looked at him and just said, I get up, I brush my teeth, and I sit down on my meditation cushion, and I get real, Duncan. <laughs> he was absolutely blown away. He didn't stop talking about that for months. I got to get real. I gotta, how do I get real? Uh, let's talk about that a little bit, because... Uh, I mean, some of what Sharon, we've been talking about is just the gifts that we got from Ramdas uh, over these many, many, many years. And more recently, the, for instance, the gift of loving awareness, perspective meditation. And, uh, and I talked with uh, Ramdev a little bit about what for me was so incredibly important was just the self-honesty. And then he made it okay for us to let go of covering up all of our dark stuff. And uh, so that, we talked about those things, but uh, talk about somebody who is real. Uh, as uh, Roshi was just talking about it, that in, in most of the, yeah, Ramdas would get a little bit curmudgeonly, which I know about. And uh, he, but most of the time he was really present. Yeah, so it'd be good to hear about becoming real and becoming present. Well, I mean, I think Ramdas was absolutely the king of being honest, you know, and, and real in, in all of those senses. And I've been certainly thinking about him a lot, knowing you're all there, knowing I was going to drop in. And actually, in some funny way, he really came so strongly to me um, this week because of the death of Stephen Sondheim. And mm. uh, when I would be listening to people interviewed about what that meant to him, they, they talked about Stephen Sondheim's death. You know, they, they talked about his having really two legacies. Like one was the work, which is immortal. You know, the, the theater, the, uh, the songs, the music. Yeah. Uh, and I thought of Ramdas, of course, that way. There's his work, there are the books, there's the recordings, there's the ways we can access his actual teaching, which is, it's like beyond time, you know, that's timeless. And then the other great legacy people talked about with Stephen Sondheim was how much he affected young playwrights, younger playwrights, and people aspiring to be in that world. And And that's like right now, you know, that's not the immortality of the work, that's like how every single person affected by him took that in, his mentoring, his inspiration, his chastisement, whatever it was, and how it affected their own aspiration and their own commitment to work. And I thought about Ramdas in that light too, and how many thousands of people make a decision someday because of something he said or inspired in them or he opened a door to thinking about something differently. And uh, I just thought about this reach, you know, of, of so many people and how immediate it is, you know, like, uh, and part of that, of course, his magic was his, um, his realness. Like, I, you know, seeing you sit up there, I remember 
sitting way in the back of that pavilion and Ramdas being up there speaking and and uh he was talking that day about how the most difficult thing for him of all after the stroke was receiving help mm-hmm. and speak about curmudgeonly, you know, like I had known him for, you know, now I've known him for f- what will be 50 years. So it was close to that and, and you as well. So uh, he was a helper. He was a doer. He was a giver. It was very, very hard for him to receive anything. And, and he said it was the most difficult thing after the stroke and the most liberating. Mm. Um, and, and then he said, you know, one of my famous books was called, How Can I Help? Now I feel like writing a book called, How Can You Help Me? <laughs> yeah. and, and it felt like, you know, in that moment, sitting way in the back, um, I felt like that was the, the transparency that happened toward the end of his life, like he could give and he could receive. And, and any barrier was gone. And that's why it was like he was made of light. You know, it was, uh, it was really like that. And, and none of it was contrived, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Well, the other thing, one, uh, we've had several different themes in terms of, you know, I can't represent all of what Ramdas's gifts are, but certainly his understanding of uh, compassionate action was central, and of course, love and death, and that was the second day, which uh, Ramdev was part of with Mirabai Star, and uh, service and social action. But I remember when we did, uh, many years ago, we did a retreat that included compassion with you and uh, and Ramdas and the the depth at which he would talk, he would be talking about compassion, he would be using certain examples and he would be actually living the moment. And you know how easily, like if, if he heard anything about anybody, and it wasn't just empathy, because he did the work, he did, he took it out on the road, so to speak. So he worked on himself and then he also worked to affect change and just from your perspective and, and practice. And, uh, can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've been listening, uh, I started listening to the recordings of, of your event there since I'm not there. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I was, I listened to the first recording in which you told the story about me. So now I'll tell the, the more exact story. <laughs> which is, <laughs> you're right, but I'll just, fill in the, the contours. So, uh, and it was very much about what you were saying. Uh, Joseph and I and a few friends were visiting Ramdas and we're staying oh, with yes. him in California at the time. And, and he, he made a point of saying, I'm not, I'm not, you know, gonna, <laughs> these were the days of like answering machines, you know, and, <laughs> and, uh, and he said, I'm not going to take calls. I'm just going to be with you. And, you know, I need a break. And, and, uh, and then this call came in, and so we could hear the message because he wasn't picking it up. And and at one point, this person said, you know, I'm this and that, and I'm going through this and that. And he said, and I just don't know 
that it's worth going on. And Ram Dass's hand went out so fast oh. and picked up that receiver and said, hello. <laughs> and then they just, you know, he went off and they just talked. Yeah. Um, but it was like, it was so fast. Spontaneous. It was just like, yeah, it was immediate. Like, okay, you know, uh, this person needs me. And so, and he was always a pioneer, you know, going back to your question. Um, like, uh, it, it was, you know, so early in the days in, in some communities uh, to think about that union of inner work and outer work, not in every community, of course, you know, we have many great traditions and various <laughs> systems, um, you know, faith traditions and so on that are uh, really extraordinary. But uh, for sort of my generation of seeker, you know, who'd gone off to India and for whom inner work was like so compelling and and new. And then he, there he was working with homeless people. You know, he was the first person I knew working with homeless people or mm. people at the end of life or prisoners. or And he was always out there and you'd think, whoa, like that's a step beyond, you know, like, uh, but it was, it was so uh, inspiring and, and so important in the end because it, it painted a picture of a spiritual life, which was whole, you know, not everyone is called to work with the same people or reach out to the same people, but uh, there's something about all of those inner values and everything we work to cultivate when we sit on that cushion and try to get real. And then, okay, how does that look when you're facing a lonely person or you're you're seeing somebody that's, you know, wildly discriminated against and, and, and being able to just see the unity of that completely without uh, any division. And of course, you know, going on in the same recording, I was listening to Krishnadas talking about, you know, if somebody's hungry, you can't teach them meditation, you have mm. to feed them and mm. going back to your great guru, um, you know, so uh, it's interesting because it always kept him on the edge too, don't you think? Because he was always a little bit ahead of a lot of people, and therefore controversial. Yeah. Well, when he came, he used to talk about when he first came back from India, he used to talk about all the things he couldn't talk about. He couldn't say devotion. That's just a, you know. Start there, guru. Woo. So he did. He confronted all of that and uh, helped us get through the idiomatic versions of those words, basically. Let so. me bring up a point about service, if I might. Yes. Now, it, it, it always felt to me that Ram Dass in service, I, I remember going into prisons with him and uh, working with dying people. And it it wasn't really about helping people. It was about awakening. It was actually service as a path to awakening. Mm. Mr. Tawari, who was a very great devotee of Maharaji, came to Santa Fe when I was running the dying center there. And he said to me something that just blew my mind, that Hanuman lives at the boundary between the form and the formless. And I think that's the way Ramdas was looking at service, that you're with the form, you're... In the you're in the prison. You're you're at the the bedside of somebody who's dying, but at the same time you're resting in the formless nature of reality, 
And to the extent you're getting caught in helping people, uh, you're creating duality. You're putting them in the role of being helped, right? Which Ramos had a hard time being when he was, uh, after he was stroked. So that the, the ability to help but not be a helper at the same time, to be resting in, in that spaciousness as, at the same time as you're doing something, is really a path in itself. And I think, you know, part of um, what we've all come to realize, you know, and, and he certainly exemplified, was that that's a journey. You know, that's not where most people necessarily start with that kind of uh, unification, you know, that kind of understanding. And and so all the other things that come along the way, like having a community where you can say, you know, um, I was scared sitting at the bedside of that dying person or my whole ego got involved, you know, and, and, and not feeling so alone. That would be one part of it, you know, and having continual encouragement and reminders like what you just did, you know, just to, to say, well, yeah, you know, that, that may be what it feels like, but let's look a little deeper. And then, you know, um, I, I think that's also a kind of genius move is to have that, uh, that sense of, you know, having a community and having the resources. I think I keep thinking now I should go back and look at Be Here Now because I think <laughs> maybe it's all in there, you know. It is. It is. Uh, oh, uh, one thing I, I, I just looked up and saw Lily, who helps Sharon. We have to, Sharon does a wonderful thing, and, and it, this is a little bit of a, commercial, but not really because it is so extraordinarily helpful that Sharon does a meditation challenge, uh, and this is the timing again. I think you do it more than once a year. Uh, yeah, well, th there's a, a kind of regular one in February for 28 days, but we're doing one because uh, my most recent book, Real Change, just came out in paperback, so in sort of celebration of that, we're doing one. Uh, which starts December 6th. It's just eight days, and it's it's a little bit like what we've just been talking about. It's not only meditations and things like that, but it's challenge, little challenges in compassion, like mm. choose one of five. What would you like to do today? Thank mm. somebody. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, oh, I didn't. Things wow. like that. I think it'll be a lot of fun. So you'll go SharonSalzberg.com, yeah. and you'll, you'll find it and be able to join it there, which... Uh, Given this season and given which uh, I was not quite aware of the kinds of things you're doing, which can be very helpful given the time that we're in, generally speaking, never mind the season. So uh, just wanted to prompt everybody about that. So Thank you. I uh, wanted to tell you that I'm, yeah. because you're, you're my, the champion of my real series, which was an artifact. It was something the publisher made up, but now it's like... <laughs> A thing, you know. My next book, which I'm working on now, is called Real Life. So, mm. okay, that's that's it. Okay, <laughs> and to that Get for down. you, okay. yeah. For thank you, thank you. Uh, I wanted to uh, something else that came from Ramdas, um, which pretty much intersects with some of the things we've been talking about. He said we got so busy being individuals. What do I need? What do I want? That we threw out our web of connection to extended family and community. 
You see, the, that is the way that we create this separation and believe in it. He goes on to say, we throw it over in our zeal to be individuals. And we ended up dealing with a tremendous amount of pathology around alienation. Boy, does that reflect, I don't know when he said that, I know it's a long time ago. Does that not reflect what is going on in, our, in, in society in general today? Oh, um, I mean, totally. Yeah, well, well, I mean, about, I find it so interesting, you know, and be interesting to hear from the two of you as well. You know, like when so many people say there's a loneliness epidemic yeah. and, and, you know, it's like uh, not just because, you know, people have perhaps been in quarantine for two years, but, you know, before, you know, and uh, which I think is really just a profound sense of disconnection and, uh and, but what's so exciting is that in the recognition of some of the sources of, of this kind of suffering, we have a path, you know, and something lights up like, oh, if it's coming from disconnection, how do I connect? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a profound, deep uh, issue. It's always been, but it's even more pointed these days, obviously. And... Uh, yeah, that's some of the stuff Love Serve Remember. The foundation has been really getting involved much more deeply. In fact, Jackie Dobrinska, who you know because you've done some work with the fellowship, is here and getting people to recognize each other, so to speak, and then meet up. And because that is certainly uh, sangha, satsang, that's what uh, people really want to. Uh, move away from this kind of separation and alienation. Uh, Sharon, not to take up too much of your time, but Sharon is known, so the three amigos who came from the East after they left the West to the East is Jack Cornfield. Jack is here, Joseph Goldstein, and Sharon Salzberg. And by the way, they were all at Naropa in 1974 when Ramdas did the Yogas of the Bhagavad Gita lectures. It's an incredible series, which, by the way, we are going to put out as a six-week uh, online course next uh, February, something like that. Uh, yeah, and you see young pictures of, of, of Jack and Joseph in the, uh, behind, just behind Ramdas. It's so great. Uh, so um, that was also a little bit just interruptory for a second when I was talking about that second of Ramdas's legacies. You know, like I don't know that there would be an insight meditation society without Ramdas. Yeah. You know, he was so encouraging and uh, inspiring and gave us a lot of advice in the beginning. And um, I didn't know if Jack was going to be in the room tonight, you know, but I really had wanted to say that. And, and so, um, you know, there's so many things we don't see. We don't see all those influences if we're making a list, you know, of like, well, this many books and this many yeah. videos and things like that. But they're, they're so out there. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Maybe I could tell a very brief story about the first summer at Naropa. Okay. So in the middle of the summer is Guru Purnima, which is the Hindu celebration in honor of the Guru. And almost everybody on the staff were uh, people that came there because of Ramdas, but 
Joseph in particular was, he was a Buddhist. In fact, he's really one of the few genetic Buddhists in America. I mean, he, <laughs> he, 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 it's not something they, they, he put upon himself. He's really a Buddhist. So he ended up coming to this celebration where waving the lights at the picture of Maharaji and Ramdas was so happy that Joseph was coming and doing this. And when it was all over, uh, Joseph said, Ramdas, I mean, I'm sorry, Maharaji must have been a really great teacher because he has all the most difficult students. <laughs> oh, that's so great. But, I thought you were going to tell another story, but it was another time. It was another time when it was RT, you know, and the light, and everyone is, you know, the light's moving around, and everyone is kind of taking the blessing of the candle, and uh, it got in front of Joseph, and it went out. <laughs> it was like complete emptiness. It was great. <laughs> That's so good. But he was totally open, Joseph. He did a yeah, thing. Well, totally, obviously, you know. But um, he did a thing with uh, Ramdas. We did it just the two of them, and they were talking about emptiness and love. And at some part of it, Ramdas referenced Maharaji, and and he said. And he can be there for you too, something like that. For you too, Joseph. And Joseph said, I'll take it wherever I can get it. <laughs> you know? Uh, he's so great. We miss him. Yeah. Um, but I was going to say, so the three of you, of course, brought back in a profound way the practice, Vipassana. And uh, you, particularly, everybody here, I'm not sure. I think most of you know what the wonderful metta practice, loving-kindness practice that Sharon, uh, this is a core practice that she's been teaching for many, many, many years. So I thought we should take advantage of that. Would you mind in doing a uh, loving-kindness? I'd be so happy. Just thank you. Um, sure. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, yeah, if you want to just sit comfortably, you can close your eyes or not. This is a practice where uh, we're tuning into gift giving or offering. It's a sense of offering blessing to ourselves and to others. And we do that sometimes. There are lots of ways of doing it, of course. Sometimes we do it through just silently repeating certain phrases, which are the uh, vehicle for the heart's energy. So phrases like, may you be happy, may you be peaceful. It's the offering that we would give to ourselves or to others. And um, I'll guide us through a really short session um, with some suggestions, both for phrases and for uh, categories of beings that we might consider. But Really, it's up to you, however you're, you're moved to, to practice. So common phrases that people often use, starting with oneself, because we are the first recipient, things like, may I be safe, or may I feel safe, may I be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease, live with ease, means in the things of day-to-day -day life, like livelihood or family, may not be such a struggle. 
You hear a version of this at the end of Krishnadasa's Kirtan. May I be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. Just whatever phrases, just gently repeat them over and over again with enough space and enough silence so that it's a rhythm that's pleasing to you. This is like the song of the heart. You don't have to try to force any special feeling or make anything happen. Just gather all of your energy behind one phrase at a time. And if you find your attention wandering, and this is the key, don't worry about it. Realize you've been gone. See if you can let go gently and simply come back to the phrases. Nothing's been ruined. Nothing's been lost. We just need to begin again. And then a benefactor, somebody who's helped you, maybe they've helped you directly, they help pick you up when you've fallen down, or they've inspired you from afar. The texts say this is the one who, when you think of them, you smile. Like who embodies love for you? Could be an adult, could be a child, could be a puppy. Who makes you smile? So if there's someone, you can bring them here. Get an image of them or say their name to yourself. Get a feeling for their presence. And offer the phrases of loving kindness to them. Even if the words don't seem perfect, it is the song of the heart. It is the offering of the heart. And so they'll serve us. Someone you know who's struggling, who does seem lonely or afraid. Bring them here and offer the phrases of loving kindness to them.
And then all beings everywhere, all people, all creatures, all those in existence, near and far, known and unknown, may all beings be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. And when you feel ready, you can open your eyes or lift your gaze and we'll end the meditation. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. So great. Thank you all. Yeah, a lot of happy people being here, all of us. Over this time, I told Roshi, it wasn't easy for everybody to come here and under all kinds of circumstances around COVID, etc. So, yeah, we feel pretty blessed to be able to gather together, which harks back to that little thing I read about, you know, we got to not act in our separateness, but act in our connectedness so thank you for connecting i don't you know it's late over there so i don't we were going to have a little well it's, you stay up late usually anyhow uh we're going to do a little q on it you want to stick around for a little sure okay can we get a mic going and then get some questions addressed to whoever okay first question um so you brought this up earlier, and I've actually been waiting for the last few days to bring it up at the right time, and I think now's the right time. Is um, Ramdas is always mentioning, like you say, this idea of being the witness, and I'm wondering if you guys can give us a crash course on the witness. Hmm. I don't think you're hearing, right, Sharon? Yeah, so I can't the, quite hear. I heard him say Ramdas and I heard him say awareness, but that was all. He he was asking for a crash course on being the witness. So that crash okay. course, and if we take it into the greater term of mindfulness, because that's really what we're talking about. Yeah. You want to? Me? Ramdas, yeah. who? Yeah, can I expand on signing? the witness? I mean, I think there are different levels of like sabek is a, another level of the witness. So in the beginning of practice, we're, I mean, be, even before practice, we're, we're, we're caught in the content. We, we become our emotions. We, we, we identify with what's going on. So then we start practicing mindfulness, particularly coming into our body, being with our thoughts, being with our emotions, and we're, we're paying attention to the content. We're not identifying with the content, but who is being aware of the content? The witness. 
And as that deepens, we begin to go into the Mahayana stage of having compassion for the content. So we become at least as interested, if not more interested, in our relationship, the witness's relationship with the content, than the content itself. And then it even deepens further into the tantric relationship, where the witness is realizing that it's all sacred, including the witness, that it, it, it's all of the same stuff. So that this, the, the identification with the witness changes as our practice deepens, mm -hmm. until finally the witness itself disappears into pure spaciousness. And then we probably have to go back to the beginning again and again. So my own practice alternates between great humility and having to go back and get grounded and centered and pay attention to how messed up my mind is to resting in pure spaciousness. And in the middle of all that, having compassion for the places I'm having a hard time doing that. So uh, in a way, compassion is the, the place where the, 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 the path changes from I'm doing it to I am it. Compassion changes from with a small C to a capital C, a small L to a capital L. I think that, uh, but getting to the more maybe human part of your question, meaning just dealing with... <laughs> I beg <Yeah>. your pardon. <laughs> I'm so sorry I didn't mean yeah, to I was cast say that aspersions I think the, there. Um, in some ways, for most people, the first stage that Ramdev mentioned is is kind of a radical departure from how we normally are, and so it takes some some doing, you know, and some practice, and that's uh, that also involves a sense of space. It's just a little bit of space. It's like the difference between having a surge of um, anger. And falling into, I'm such an angry person, and I always will be, and, and you know nothing's ever going to change, and I'm the only one, and which is one way of relating to it. And another way of relating to it is more like, oh, there's anger. What does anger feel like? And then you maybe examine it in your body. What what are the different uh, sensations? And then what's the anger movie? Like if we sit and we just look at anger, not like why am I angry and what am I going to do about it? And I need a new therapist and whatever, but what does it feel like? What is it we see? Maybe there's a lot of sorrow laced within that anger. Maybe there's a lot of fear laced within that anger. And there's almost certainly a sense of helplessness laced within that anger and probably at its root. And then we also see it's always changing. It's moving. It felt so solid. It felt so uh, ultimate when it came up, you know, so inflexible but it's actually moving and changing, you know? And so we see the very truth of change just from watching the same old yucky anger that we didn't want to have to begin with, which is why everything in the terrain of mindfulness, everything is useful. Everything is good. You know, there's no mistaken feeling or we're just trying to cultivate that sense of, I'd say witnessing being a Buddhist, you know, uh, rather than the witness. Uh, which sort of condenses those later stages that, that Ramdev was talking about um, as well. So uh, that's so much of what the practice is, is moving from being embroiled and overcome or fighting what we're feeling 
to actually just being able to simply say, oh, this is what's happening. Mm. Yeah. Is that square? Yeah. Very human. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that big oh, intro uh, about being real, I thought, oh, man, I better like, try to be real. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. You're next. I, I just am asking about doing meta practice for my parts, for like that part of me that's being negative towards myself. Uh, may that part of me be filled with loving kindness. It feels really weird to shout about this right now. <laughs> but to do meta practice in besides just for a benefactor and to be mm -hmm, really mm -hmm. specific. For the poor little guy inside of ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I think I got it, and if I didn't, you know, uh, Raghu or Ramdev can repeat it more completely. But I think, and I, I only started watching um, the second presentation that uh, was recorded with Jack and Trudy on the first day. So I heard uh -huh. a little bit of Trudy's meditation and. Um, Trudy will tell you, maybe she did tell you, because sorry if, if I missed it. Um, there are so many uh, kind of creative elements to doing a, a metta or a loving kindness practice. And I sort of like to lay it out in the traditional form. And then, you know, we play. We just see where it's useful. So um, Trudy will tell you one of her favorite, maybe her favorite meditations of all is like loving kindness toward the body, which I learned from a 97-year-old monk who came to visit us at IMS once. And this was 1993 or 94. And I remember it because I was working on my first book, Loving Kindness. And I didn't have a computer. And I knew very few people who did. And I was totally intimidated by the thought of that I could never learn how to use one of those. And so Everything, you know, cutting and pasting in those days meant getting a pair of scissors <laughs> and cutting out the paragraph. All the people my age are laughing. Uh, or, you know, you cut out the paragraph you want to move and you move it up and down the page and then you get a roll of scotch tape and that's pasting. So it was really slow. And anyway, this 97-year-old monk from Sri Lanka came to visit us at IMS and we were just chatting and, and he said, he mentioned he was learning how to use a computer. I thought, okay, he's 97. He's learning how to use a computer. Maybe I can learn how to use a computer too. So that's how I can sort of date it. And then he said, we had a retreat that was happening. He wanted to go into the meditation hall and give a talk. So I thought, okay, he's 97. It's not going to be a long talk. So we went into the hall and it was Good an luck. endless talk. It was endless, endless. It was so long. And right in it, he said, I want to teach you my favorite meditation which was loving kindness toward the body. Like, may my head be happy. May my ears be happy. And I thought, maybe that's why he's got so much energy. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, so we play in all kinds of ways. Um, and I, I think that's great, you know, and especially if you feel kind of confident because uh, of doing the, like the foundational stuff. Mm. Yes. Every time uh, I've done metta, I get really caught up in the phrases and uh, 
Can you hear? Oh, yeah, that's way better. Right up to your yeah. lips. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yep. <laughs> so every time we do the meta, I get really caught in the phrases. And phrases. In the phrases. Phrases. Yeah. Confused. Is it happiness? Or should I ask for wealth? Or should I ask for, you know, understand that? And something you said today about it's less about that and more about the movement of the heart. I wonder if you could expand on that. Did you catch that at the end, Sharon? Raghu, maybe you could repeat it. The the last thing about movement of the heart? Yeah, something, Sharon, you said about... The trembling of the heart? Yeah, or the... the it's a, as a vehicle of the heart's wish rather than important of what the phrases actually are. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, again, you know, stop me if I... If I'm just uh, making things up, you know, because I can't quite hear. Um, the words don't really matter. I mean, I think the uh, structure might matter in that if you can basically use the same words and if you're not struggling with them. Some people cannot stand the word happiness. You know, it just seems so superficial to them, but it doesn't have to. Um and what I mean by structure is you don't really want to be kind of continually thinking of new phrases when you think of a new person or a puppy or something, because then uh, in the sort of technical aspect of meditation, energy gets too high, concentration gets too low. We start feeling more agitated or anxious. Uh, we lose the power of that kind of um, gathering of all our attention that is concentration and we really want to balance. And so uh, simplicity leads to greater concentration. Repetition leads to greater concentration. But you also don't want that to be inert or dead. It needs to be alive, you know. So you don't want to feel imprisoned by the phrases. There may be times you change them. But you don't want to sit there, like, and think, what about you? You know, like, you get kind of lazy when you get happy. Maybe if you were what, you know. It's just too much because then we'll we'll get agitated. And so if you can basically use the same phrases, whatever they are, it doesn't matter. You know, as long as it's a gift that you can sincerely want to offer. And it needs to be broad. If it's very specific, like, may I get a decent flight out of Honolulu? You know, <laughs> that's not going to work. Right. Although it was very important for me one year. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's... Uh, it's got to be something much, much bigger. Mm. Aside from the core, this core practice and how you've shared that over the years, I know that when I first started practicing with you way back when, when Sunanda and I would drive to Barry, it was, it was so crucial the teaching of you get lost you can always come back it was like not an order come back it was the beauty of the possibility of come back without any kind of garbage in your mind Mm -hmm. about it at all that's such a a, to me a central uh, meditative uh, a part of meditative practice beginning middle or towards the end because whatever righteousness you have about, well, how could I get lost that long? I've been doing, you know, that's got to go too. So 
That's why it's also so great that Ramdas, you've probably talked about this, but why I coined the phrase loving awareness, because it was always like awareness, awareness, awareness. And the love was, I think, essentially there. It had to be there, but it was so much implied rather than explicit. And he just said, let's make it explicit. Because what does that mean? You know, you're, you sit down, you're doing a mantra, you're feeling the breath, or you're doing loving kindness, and you're a million miles away. And then how are you going to speak to yourself in that next moment? Can you let go and be loving and come back? And he was so in that moment all the time with himself. So it was such a great example. It's okay. But we talked about that in the very beginning, honesty with oneself and uh, being able to be human. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Wow. Any more questions? Oh, we do have one. Yeah. Hi. Um as you talked about the phrase, and Krishna Das talked about chanting in Sanskrit, and it's good because we don't know what it means, so we don't think about the meaning, and it's the sound, and you're talking about the phrase and keeping it simple so you don't get caught up in, like, the repetition and the simplicity can kind of keep it, I don't know, flowing, I guess. But do you... So I have a really, really hard time in seated, seated meditation, and guided image, guided meditation helps more, but I'm a mover. So in terms of finding my meditation, I guess I'm looking for some guidance in terms of where to start with a phrase in English where you have meaning attached to it, just a single sound, like a tantric meditation, um, where you don't really have a meaning associated with it, um, or a foreign language sound like Sanskrit, where there is a simple like Ram, 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 there is meaning in that. So I'm just asking for some feelings around mm -hmm. English versus Sanskrit, et cetera. I mean, just experiment, you know, like look at the freedom that we have to keep exploring. And there's no right answer, you know, it's not like, uh, this is better than that, or or you're you know you're doing remedial work because you're doing this instead of of that. It's all fine. I mean, so much of it is really similar. That ability to let go, that ability to begin again. You know, whatever you're coming back to, um, there are going to be some elements that are the same. You also don't have to sit; you can walk. Um, I mean, there's so there's so much opportunity to keep. To keep exploring. I, one of the reasons I like the uh, loving kindness practice, and again, this is just for me and the way my mind works also, um, is that um, because it does have meaning, uh, because it's in English, um, I mean, everything has, has a joy in it. You know, like I, now I'm just thinking about listening to Kirtan and, and just the sense of exhilaration and rapture, which is so beautiful. But one of the reasons as a kind of steady practice for me, the loving kindness was really good was because, um, you know, when I, I made brief reference to this sort of dynamic we're developing in any practice where we're deepening calm and concentration and peace on the one hand, and we're also 
strengthening energy and interest and like aliveness on the other. And, and we work to have them in balance. And when there's much more kind of calm and peace and concentration, uh, then there is energy. We fall into what classically was known as sinking mind, which I call the ooze. You just kind of oozing along and it's very pleasant, but it's not very sharp. And I found that of all the practices that I did when I was doing loving kindness, it was the most instant feedback system if I fell into that state because the words would get garbled so that like in Burma, for example, where I did three months of loving kindness practice and Ramdas was there actually also practicing. Um, I would hear myself at some point repeating something like maybe filled with suffering, maybe filled. And I go, no, maybe free of suffering. That's the one. And that was very useful, you know, because it was like a very quick uh, pointing out that, oh, you are really like sinking, you know, like let's pick up your energy. And, and so uh, it's just an experiment in those ways. My own response, actually, to to that, because I had a lot of trouble with either English phrases or mantras, it was, thank God, I found Vipassana, which is the natural breath. That was the easiest thing uh, for me and has remained so over all these years. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sharon. Thank you all. May you all be happy and well and in that glorious place and... Yeah. With one another. Yeah, we're having a good time. Hey. So don't forget to join uh, the meditation challenge. That includes much more that I didn't really know about. And uh, also uh, people here, their, Sharon's books are in the back here, and they're all, each one of them, absolutely wonderful and insightful and incisive as well. And, or you can get them online through Amazon. <laughs> What's your closing thought? My closing thought? Yeah, just a thought. Just like a... Uh, my, somebody asked Maharaji once, is the world real or is it an illusion? He says, it's completely real, it's completely an illusion, and it's both at the same time. Now, he, he was kind of covering all the bases there. This is a true story? Yeah, it's a true story. <laughs> you think I'm making this shit up? <laughs> no, you wouldn't do that, no. But that, that sense of seeing the world as an illusion, as the world as a dream, and seeing it as real and holding those both together at the same time is what enables us to have an open heart when people are suffering, when the world seems to be going crazy, when I've just been invited to be the Buddhist meditation teacher at Death Row in San Quentin and to be able to go in there and see how real that is and how it's also a dream. Uh, if I had more time, we could talk about physics and how quantum mechanics is now mathematically proven what ancient tantric wisdom says is that the Western worldview is backwards, that there isn't an objective separable reality out there and that we're individual perceiving devices. There's one consciousness 
creating reality through our individual filters. Now, that might sound kind of theoretical, but to, to get into that mindset where we're recreating reality, and which is kind of the point behind the slogans of loving kindness that Sharon was so beautifully sharing, that we're, we're creating reality moment to moment. And are we going to create a loving reality? Are we going to create a, a frightened reality, an angry reality? And Maharaji's message was, you can create this reality out of pure love. Thank you. That's, see? Perfect. Huh? It was perfect. You had a perfect little closing. That's okay. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Sharon, again, thank you, and thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next year. Yes, we are hoping to come back in a year, so you book it now, okay? <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. All right, everybody. Namaste. Ram. Ram. Ram.